Well, good morning. It's good to be here. Um, as Jason introduced, my name is Ray Perrette. Um, I've been a lifelong member here at First United Methodist, but a lot of you probably don't know me too well because, well, I'm a missionary and I've been out there. Um, so, but this, I've had a season home after about 16 years of doing missions, kind of coming at the end of a season of a sabbatical, COVID uh, things going on. Um, I've moved back here, and so, but we're getting ready to go again. Um, currently, I'm actually working for the church for another week, and I am the church's uh, sexton is my title. And if you don't know what that is, that's okay. I didn't know either, so I Googled it for all of us. Uh, the word sexton is an old Latin title, which means um, someone who takes care of the sacred things. So my job here is to take care of the sacred lawn equipment, the sacred paintbrushes, the sacred tools. And if you've had the pleasure of being in the maintenance closet there or in the garage in the back, all the sacred junk that lives there. <laughs> so that's my current job. But again, I'm only here for another week as I will be returning to missions uh, about a week and a half here. And this time I'll be going off to the ends of the earth location called Minneapolis, Minnesota. Not my first, second or third choice, but Lord calls where Lord calls, right? Um, but in my missionary career, 16 years, I've served in the Caribbean. I've been in Hawaii. I've been in Colorado, um, lots of time uh, in Europe. I've been to around about 30 nations or so on ministry. Um, and the primary thing I've done is work with biblical studies within our mission. Uh, my mission is called Youth with a Mission, or YWAM for short. And that was a promo video for him, for them. Um, the narrator is Lauren Cunningham. He started the organization back in the 60s. Um, he's now almost 90, and he is probably the most traveled man on the planet. He's been to every single nation on this planet. Um, and he kicked off a movement, movement of youth. I say, you know what? Don't need all the college degrees. You don't need all the structure in the committees. God's commissioned you. Come on, let's go on mission trips. That's how he started. And now we're an organization of 20,000 20, full-time missionaries. And not a single one of us receives a salary from the organization. We all have to raise our own support. We probably have another 10 to 20,000 students. So what I'm involved in is mainly training, biblical studies, as I mentioned. Um, we run Bible schools. We get a lot of 19, 20-something-year-olds coming in. Uh, we train them and send them to the mission field because that's what God said do, right? Um, beyond the biblical studies, uh, starting, creating, running uh, studies, also got into some refugee work a few years ago. Uh, started over in Lesbos, Greece during the Syrian refugee crisis. All these people coming over on the rafts, uh, very dangerous journey, coming to the closest island in Greece. Coming in cold, wet, you name it. Um, so our mission organization sent people to go work in a refugee camp called Morea. It was all over the news. Best way to describe it, hell on earth. Uh, mostly Muslims from Iran, Afghanistan, Syria, Iraq, you name it. Um, so we helped clothe them, helped feed them, just talk to them, house them, you name it. Um, in that time, every once in a while, one would come up to one of our workers and just said, I had a dream last night, or I had several dreams, and Jesus keeps telling me, I know it's Jesus, I know nothing about him. You're a Christian, you know. And we explained, and we baptized people in the Mediterranean Ocean. 
Um, so that led a series of doing some refugee work, quick visit to France at a refugee camp. And then that led into working in East Germany in Dresden, a church of uh, Persian believers, new believers, that's Iran and Afghan uh, believers, whether they came to, came to the Lord in their country or kind of when they came to the West, started believing. And the German pastor kind of took him on, but he's, he's a local businessman. He said, I don't know what I'm doing here. I know some YWAMers. That's what they do. So a team of us moved over to Dresden a couple of years to help them. Um, in that time, I met my wife, Dory, who was from Germany. Uh, she's in the back. Uh, we got married here. Jason married us. I finished out some time doing missions, and we came back here for a sabbatical. Uh, in that time, I worked with the Florida Sheriff Youth Ranches for a bit, and my wife actually worked at Kimberly Home. Some of you may know that. It's a ministry in Clearwater that takes on crisis pregnancy situations, uh, a woman that's maybe kicked out, abused, whatever. Um, now they're homeless and pregnant. Take care of that. Um, that kind of ended when we had our son, Nolan, the little guy squawking in the back. He's 10 months old now. Uh, we took some time. We decided it's time to go back to missions. So I'm going to Minneapolis to help them start a Bible school. Um, we'll be taking, unfortunately, these days when we get young missionaries coming in, we're recruits. Whether they grew up in the church or not, they know almost nothing of the Bible. Um, but they want to go be missionaries. So that's kind of a problem. So school we're going to start is we take one of these 20-something-year-olds that basically know nothing or very little and we work with them for three months in a school. And at the end of the school, they can stand up here in front of you and give you an hour-long Bible overview, how all the story fits together. And then we send them out to share with the churches, share with their friends, one-on-one -on -one in groups, or even go start another Bible school, South America, Pacific Islands, wherever. Um, and then they also have a pregnancy ministry there in Minneapolis. Um, lots of refugees and immigrant populations as well. Um, so Dory will be working uh, with that ministry. So I'm here to share today about missions, but I don't want to talk just about me. Um, it's kind of where I've been and where I'm going, but I want to talk a bit about missions. And I'm a Bible teacher, so I want to talk about the Bible. Um, and really what I love about doing biblical studies is really doing that Bible overview, whether I take nine months, three months, a week and teaching in a school or getting in front of somebody and doing a Bible overview in an hour. I love sharing that story because you get so much of the nature and character of God, so much of how he's been working through history in that story. You know, have you ever heard oh, the God of the Old Testament? He's kind of mean. I like the God of the New Testament. <laughs> Guess what? He's the same God, and he's gracious in the Old Testament. Um, so if I do a Bible overview, again, I, if I really restrict myself, I can do it about an hour. But we don't got that time. You all are going to start getting hangry in about 30 minutes here. So beautiful, another beautiful thing about the Bible is that there's all these beautiful threads that go through the story of the Bible. And you can always pick one of those threads and see where it pops up. I probably can't even do every spot that... Uh, spot that Fred pops up, but I can do a few. So again, I'm going to talk about missions here. And usually when the church talks about missions, we start where? Matthew 25, the Great Commission, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, been there, done that a hundred times. Fantastic verse, absolutely true. But you know what? Let me define missions for you. This is the Ray definition but I think it's pretty accurate. Missions is revealing who God is to every nation, every tribe, and every tongue, and every part of life. And that was part of why I showed that promo too, because he said, you know, the 
out in the deserts, in the urban cities, and in prestigious universities. You can do missions everywhere, anywhere, in your workplace. So that's why I say in every part of life. All right? Now, if you really accept that definition as missions, then missions begins in Genesis, way back at the beginning. So I'm going to start to do a little Bible overview, and we'll see how missions pops up in the Bible up to us. All right, so we start in the beginning, Genesis. Now, Genesis, very, everybody talks about it, very mysterious, very wonderful, profound book. But the main thing that first part of Genesis sets up is, well, our human condition. We start off in the Garden of Eden, but that's not the life we live, is it? No, we live in a dark and broken and fallen world. And if you follow the storyline, like a big overview of the storyline, what quickly happens is man descends into darkness, into depravity, and it's just not good. We have different stories that show that we as man can't fix our own problems. So God's got to fix it. God says, okay, I'm going to put a plan into motion, and I'm going to start with one man. That man's name was, any guesses? Abraham. Okay. Um, it's the very beginning of it. Um, just keep my place here. They come, God comes to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to turn them into a nation, and I'm going to make a really important covenant with that nation. I'm going to give them a piece of property, a piece of land, and I'm going to bless them so that they will be a blessing. Okay? So since I don't have enough time, we're going to hit the fast-forward button. A few generations, and then 430 years in Egypt, and now we're wandering in the desert. And now this family has turned into tribes and into a nation. So we got the nation, but a nation is two things. It's people and land. So we need land, and we need this covenant. Let me start with the covenant real quick. So this is where God makes, in the books of kind of Exodus, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, makes what we call the Old Covenant, the Jewish law. All right? Um, And the Old Testament law has 613 commandments in it. 613. That's a lot. My wife says almost as many as Germany. Um, And all these rules, they're not just religious rules. They have to do with every aspect of life. Family, education, government, business, religion, how we communicate, how we interact with each other, and even how we celebrate. All right, this is for the Jews, all right? Um, And there's a repeated phrase in this. So it's not just, I want you to do this just because I said so. It's because God tells them, so that it will go well with you in the land. God's not giving them rules. He's giving them wisdom. You want to keep your family relationships together? Do this. You want a good government, law, and justice? Do this. Uh, And so on in every aspect. If you have a rooftop porch... Tell you what, put a fence on it so somebody doesn't fall off. That's in there. It's good laws. Okay, in our time, some of it's a little funny, but it's good stuff, especially for the ancient context. Um, and so it's every aspect. Did I mention missions about revealing God in every aspect of your life? Okay. So 613 rules, it's a lot. But luckily, we can simplify those down to 10 categories. Call those the 10 commandments. Now, who here could stand up and recite them off? 
Come on, don't worry, I can't do it either. That's okay. I haven't memorized them. I'm a missionary. I haven't memorized them. Uh, Jason hasn't popped up either. Uh, nope, see, you meant it. Okay, so we can simplify actually those 10 or all the rules down to two. Love God, love your neighbor. I say love God, love people. All those rules fit in those two categories. In fact, in Jesus' ministry, if somebody comes up to Jesus and says, what's the most important commandment? He says, love God with all your heart. Before the guy can respond, he says, and love your neighbor. That's the fulfillment of the law. Okay? So now we have the, the covenant. Now we need a piece of land for these people. Let's pull up a quick map here. Hopefully you've all seen this somewhere along the line. You can see Israel kind of in Palestine, just slight left to center there. So why is this land so important to the Jews? And why does God want them there? Let's talk a little geography. You can see to the south, you have Egypt and Nambia and the rest of Africa. Big and ancient world. And up towards the north, you have you know, Persia, different times of ancient history, but you have all these other empires up towards Asia. Well, if you look to the left of Israel, that's the Mediterranean Sea. The ancients, they don't like sailing. They don't have radar. They don't have good navigation maps. The wind picks up. They think there's monsters, chaos monsters in the ocean. Okay. Um, that's a whole nother story. Um, there's only a few people groups that would sail in ancient times, and they were very wealthy because of it. Now, on the other side, you see the light tan area. That is desert. Impassable desert. No water source desert. So you ain't walking through there. So if you want to trade, if you want to communicate, you want to travel, guess what? You got two highways that go right through that strip of land we call Israel. God wants to put Israel, what now we call Israel, in there. But why? And why all these rules? Now we're getting to the missions part of the Old Testament. See, in the book of Leviticus, which is the kind of the priestly handbook um, for the nation, there's a repeated phrase in there. As, as my Bible teacher said, if it's repeated, it's important. If it's repeated, it's important. If it's repeated, it's important. So the important phrase is, be holy as I am holy. If you wonder what holy, the word holy actually means, it means to be set apart. It means to be different. So you, I've taken you, I've put you in this land, and I want you to be different than the other nations. I want you to live like how I want you to live. I want you, if you follow these, you will prosper. You'll build a great temple. You have a great kingdom, though small, it will be great. And as the nations travel through the land, they'll see these people are different. A little odd. They only have one God. But they prosper. And they do well. And they're holy. Who is their God? So the nations would come and see who God is. Now their capital comes Jerusalem eventually. It's up on a hill. And then they have a temple mount, which is even higher. So it's a city upon a hill. And we'll come back to that in a minute. All right. Okay. So the story goes on from the desert. You get the book of Joshua. They go and they take the land little struggles, but they get the hang of it. Um, and everything sounds great at the end of Joshua. Then we get to the book of Judges. Who's read the book of Judges? Anybody? A few of you. I've got bright lights in here, but a few of you. Well, if you haven't, it is a dark, dark, dark story. 
depressing, messed up story of the people of God. What happens in, is, uh, in Israel is at this time, they weren't a nation, they're tribes. And so they had regional rulers, kind of like warlords slash judicial justices, kind of multi-role William Wallace kind of characters, right? Um, so they kind of rule, but there's no godly leader. And what happens is they get in these cycles of sin and oppression and repentance and kind of cycles around, but it's not just cycling. It's down spiraling into the darkness. And what happens is Israel loses its way. It loses its mission. It's no longer a light to the nations. It's no longer holy. It's no longer set apart because it looks just like everybody else. Thieving, corrupt, trying to gain power, fighting with each other, you name it. And so this light that Israel is supposed to be is down to a flicker. That's about ready to go out. But God, he, he hasn't let go. He's still God. And so at the end of the time of Judges, you get Samuel. He's kind of happening right at the end of the same time, somewhere in there. When you read chronological in the Bible, don't believe what they tell you on dates. It's, it's complicated. Jason will tell you. It's, it's, it's complicated. All right. Um, and we get this little interesting story about Samuel. You may have heard it before. He's a young man, and he's dedicated to the Lord, and he's working under the high priest named Eli. Um, at this time, even the priesthood is, is corrupt. Eli's okay guy, but he's getting old. His sight's getting dim, and his sons are supposed to take over. But they were recorded as going out sleeping with the women that were serving at the tabernacle. So not exactly looking good prospects for the next line of priesthood. And then we get this nice, this interesting story. This is First uh, Samuel chapter 3, verses 2 through 3. At that time, Eli, the high priest, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim. I think that phrase is in there very intentionally. It's applying something. Uh, so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, here I am. Okay, now I'm going to give you a little background to some of these verses. All right, the priests, amongst their duties of, you know, doing sacrifices and teaching uh, the Torah and stuff, they were also supposed to take care of all the sacred items. The sextons of their time. Ta-da! Um, so, so they're supposed to be taking care of all the temple stuff inside the tabernacle. All right? It's a, the temple's a tent at this point. Um, and the phrase lamp of God that I had up here is referring to the light, the candle stand inside kind of the inner area of the, the temple. It's kind of like God's tent. This is where God lives, and it symbolizes their presence amongst God. Uh, God. Um, and that light, they're instructed in their manual in Leviticus to keep that light burning continuously, day and night. So through this verse that we saw, and some other ones, it's implied that well, the priests are getting a little lady, lazy. Their beds are getting a bit comfortable, and eh, we'll just let it burn out. We'll get up early in the morning, and we'll light it back up. Only priests go in there anyways. Who's going to know? So they're lacking in their duties. But yet Samuel's laying in there. Now, the other thing you need to know about this little phrase, lamp of God, it's actually used as a saying throughout the Bible, the lamp of God or the lamp of Israel. And it's a saying of the hope of God, the hope of Israel. 
So the author here is playing on these words to show something. So really, the reader should read it with a little bit of twist to it. And it would read sort of like this. Eli's eyesight was dimming and laying, and he was laying in his room. But the hope of God, the hope of Israel, had not yet gone out. For Samuel was lying in the tabernacle. Samuel, 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 here am I, Lord. So Israel hasn't quite flickered out. And through the life of Samuel, he kind of helps correct things as a judge himself, as a prophet himself, as a priest himself. He had a lot of roles. Um, kind of goes on a circuit and he anoints, anoints some kings. He anoints Saul. Doesn't really work out. But he eventually anoints King David, who's a godly man. It takes a long time to get there. Reading Samuels is like reading Lord of the Rings. Just keeps going and going and going and going. But we eventually get to David. He eventually gets into power. And that towards the end of David's life, they come to him. They're like, you know what? You shouldn't go. To, you're getting old. You shouldn't go to the war. And they call David. Why should we risk extinguishing the lamp of Israel? They call David the hope, the lamp of Israel. Okay. And he sets up a time of peace for his son, Solomon. And Solomon starts out by seeking wisdom. He builds a great and glorious temple to God up on this uh, Jerusalem, up on the hill. And it's beautiful. It's white. It's all these great things. And they start prospering. There's no war. Now the nations are coming to them for wisdom. They're seeing how well Israel is doing. Um, they're paying tribute. Usually when you pay tribute, you've been conquered by somebody else. And they say, okay, you can exist. You just have to, you know, kind of be under rules and give us a bunch of tax money. But now nations they haven't conquered are coming to them and just saying, here, take our money. Who is this God? I need some of this wisdom. So Israel is now fulfilling their missions. The nations are traveling through. They're coming. Queens are coming for wisdom and glorifying this God. Well, unfortunately, it doesn't last long. Same, uh, Solomon sins, and then all the following kings, well, they're pretty terrible. And here's the mercy of God. God spends a few hundred years prophesying, come back to the covenant. Come back to the covenant. Prophet after prophet after prophet, they kill and ignore. And so he begins to protect, okay, you guys are going to go in exile. I'm going to kick you out of the land. You're not doing your mission. But amongst all this prophecies of doom and judgment, it's always mixed in these prophecies of hope and restoration. And there's hundreds of those too. Um, so I can't go through them. So I, I've picked one I think will be relevant. And this is Isaiah 42 verses six through eight. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness, which they're now not living in. I'll take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. There's that light again to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory. I give no other, nor my praise carve idols. So although the light of Israel is extinguished for a moment, God still has hope up his sleeve. Now we're going to do a little bit of fast forwarding again. They're all taken off, scattered under a few empires. Persia lets them go back into the land. They're under the Persians, then they're under the Greeks, and then under the Romans, brief stint of themselves, didn't go too well. Um, and now they're waiting 
for their Messiah. They're waiting for the Messiah, their military leader to come and kick the Romans out and be their great independent nation again. But God's got something bigger in mind. And Jesus walks onto the scene. Now, when Jesus walks onto the scene, well, young first Jewish males was required for them to go to the temple and be dedicated to the Lord. There's a man named there, Simeon, his older man. He's been praying for the, see the Messiah. He recognizes this child and he prophesies over him. And one of the things he quotes is Isaiah, what I just read, a light to the nations, to those who are in the darkness. All right. So now we're going to fast forward a little bit. Now we're in Jesus's ministry time. And Jesus goes to one of their festivals. Uh, This is found in John. Um, And the festival we're referring to this time is called the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booze. There's different names for it. Um, And what they do at this festival, everybody pilgrimages to Jerusalem. They erect all these little shelters, these booze, tent kind of things. And they kind of live in them and party in them for a few days. And it's to kind of commemorate mainly that time in Egypt and remember what they came out of. And they have uh, these different little ceremonies and different things that happen during the time, this uh, whole festival. One of the cool ones, um, kind of different names, Celebration of Lights, Festival of Lights. One night they'll get these giant menorahs out, these giant bowls of oil and in the outer courts of the temple and they'll light them up and just light this whole thing up. The men, people get torches and they're dancing around with them and the whole temple in the city just lights up. Now remember, they're up on a hill. This is ancient times. There's no light pollution. So you can imagine the darkness in ancient times. You've ever been out in the rural areas. There's no lights. Suddenly this city, I think we have a picture here somewhere. Uh, the city lights up on this hill. There you go. It's kind of a, I give you an idea. Nothing but darkness. They are city on a hill. And right this night or right after, somewhere in this time, but during this celebration, Jesus makes this statement in John 8, verse 12. Jesus, um, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the reason they lit up that temple was to symbolize them being hope and to symbolize the hope of their Messiah coming. So we've heard Jesus said this. I'm sure you read it before, but he's at this festival. He says, I am that light. Jesus is saying, I am that Messiah. I am the one fulfilling Israel's mission that they always failed to do. I am the fulfillment of it. He's fulfilled that mission. So what does it leave for us? We done? No, if we pay attention to that prophecy, it was light for the nations. So there's work still to be done. So with all that context, I'm going to give you two more verses. Maybe this will illuminate these verses for you a little bit more. First, from the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. All right. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Hmm. Mind you of something? Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
The second verse I want to give you, some more missional thinking now, is in Acts 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, Jerusalem's a city, kind of like their county or their state is Judea. Samaria is a little bit outer regions where the Samaritans are, or kind of half Jews, and then on beyond. You are to go. So Jesus flips it here. In the Old Testament, the nations would come and see Israel, the people of God. In the New Testament, they're going out from Israel to the nations. The people of God are going out. So I'll leave you with a few closing thoughts here. The band wants to get themselves kind of ready. Um, see, now we carry the light and the hope that Jesus is. We're not supposed to stay in here. We, we symbolize this at Christmas Eve with the candlelight service, right? We start in the dark room, we take the Christ candle, and the room illuminates, and we walk out with our candle. We're supposed to take it out, right? Um, we're not supposed to stay here in this room with it. Okay, the church does great things. We, we reveal the nature and character of God to each other. We support each other. We talk about it. Right now in the middle, talk about, you know, mental health. Fantastic things. I'm not knocking that. But don't let this building become a basket to that light. You need to take it out. Let Dunedin or whatever surrounding city you're from be your Judea. Your Jerusalem, I mean. And let your Pinellas County and the Tampa area be your Judea. And let the Samaria be America. And let the nations be your ends of the earth. Because we're all called to do it. But I understand. Not all of us can go. God's called you to be here. I get it. But there are those who can go. But they have to be sent. That's why God created the missionary. For those who go. So that's that go. We need to be sent. We need to be prayed for. We need to be commissioned. We need to be supported. A lot of us don't make incomes doing it. We have to rely on the church to send us out even in that way. So I encourage you with that. Thank you for your time. Um, and we will pray. Continue on. Thank you. Jesus, we thank you that you are the light of the world. And that you have gone out. And that you just haven't done it, but you partner with us. You want us to be part of your kingdom to go. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be Israel, that we would just get comfortable in our own ways and put a basket over ourselves and our church and not go out. Lord, I pray we'd be willing to be a little uncomfortable for wherever that you send us. Holy Spirit, we ask you to empower us to go to our cities, to our counties, to our states, to our nations. Bring your light and every light into every aspect of life, whether it's workplaces, whether it's family, whether it's in communications, whether it's a government, whether it's at prestigious universities, whether it's rural areas or urban areas. Lord, I pray you'd send us. Amen.